Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. At its best, the Rooney role makes you more thoughtful in finding the best person for the role because you widen the pool of qualified candidates. We use the Rooney Rule type requirement as a way of hiring for all of our leadership positions. And for example, our general counsel, who happens to be a woman, happens to be Latina, our chief operating officer, who happens to be a woman, it forces us to look harder. And therefore, you actually see more people. And so in many ways, the bar is raised. Right. (laughs) You've got more profiles, more competitive profiles to look at. Hi there. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa. And you're listening to season two of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season will focus on disruption. From disrupting industries to old narratives and definitions of success, and even disrupting new ways of thinking. Today's interview is with Candace Morgan, head of inclusion and diversity at Pinterest and a woman disrupting diversity and company cultures. Prior to working at Pinterest, Candace spent a decade honing her expertise in diversity strategy. A frequent speaker and advisor, Candace has been awarded Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business and the Roots 100 Most Influential African Americans in 2017. Candace became the head of inclusion and diversity at Pinterest unintentionally. After taking an undergraduate class on business across cultures, Candace became especially interested in cross-cultural organizational psychology. Unknowingly, she was navigating the career path of a future head of inclusion and diversity. After 10 years with Catalyst, a nonprofit that helps build workplaces that work for women, Candace moved on to Pinterest. Rather than focusing only on the recruiting and hiring process, Pinterest focuses on what happens after onboarding. This includes how leaders are trained to become inclusive leaders, HR processes around being fair and objective, building community, and even how the product serves across all groups. Learn how Candace has built her career on the importance of inclusion and diversity, while authentically dedicating herself to both, what belongingness means, and how all companies can rethink their hiring practices. And now, this is The Females. So Candace, tell us what exactly a head of inclusion and diversity actually is, and how did you come to be one at Pinterest? Sure. So this role of head of inclusion and diversity, um, first I should mention that my title has changed. 
So uh, my original title was head of diversity, and we decided to add the inclusion and put the inclusion first. So basically, everyone had to change their docs and change <laughs> them to I and D instead of D and I. But that was a very intentional choice because in the tech industry, in particular, inclusion and diversity, or diversity in particular, are often thought about only with regard to, or specifically with regard to, recruiting and hiring. But the role of inclusion and diversity is very, very broad. So it is it spans diversity recruiting, of course, but it also spans thinking about how employees are onboarded as they come into the company, thinking about how to train leaders and individuals on how to be inclusive leaders and managers. It spans thinking about all of your HR processes and how to make any decisions regarding people as objective and fair as possible how to build community, and then it even spans how to think about your product or your service and how to ensure that your global or your diverse customer base receives service at the utmost quality across different groups. That You don't have some groups that are receiving a higher quality of information um, or options than others. So it's, it's, it's pretty broad. And the way that I came to fall into this role was definitely unintentional. <laughs> I would say when I entered college, I thought I was going to be uh, a therapist. Uh, I took one class in abnormal psychology, realized I have a tendency to over-identify with every possible diagnosis, <laughs> uh, and also realized that, hey, that on the plus side, I have empathy. Uh, that's a good thing. I was also very much drawn to research around ethnicity and culture. So I did an undergrad uh, research presentation and study looking at couples across different ethnicities and looking at certain dimensions of relationships, commitment, satisfaction, trust, conflict, to see if there were differences uh, in how couples from different ethnic backgrounds interacted. And, and there were. It was really it was really fascinating. But commitment was was universally the same across all groups. So uh, that happened at the same time that I also studied business as an as a minor and I took a class on business across cultures that kind of led me down a route of studying cross-cultural and cross-ethnic organizational psychology so I, I went to the UK and studied that and essentially I again wasn't super familiar with the career path of you know a chief diversity officer head of diversity when I finished grad school I actually was going to go into international education and then I was lucky enough to uh, run into an organization called Catalyst, which is where I used to work. And they did research looking at women across different cultures. So really looking at intersectional women and how they experience advancement into executive positions. And I was like, this is a job. This is amazing. Right. Someone's going to pay me to do this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. And there's a research team and there are these experts. I actually ended up... Uh, being told that the consulting team wanted to interview me as well. And I ended up, that was, that was pretty fateful because I ended up doing 10 years of working with fortune 1000 companies and really helping them build inclusive strategies. That's incredible. It's, uh, it's amazing that you were able to create an, like a career path out of just pure interest too. I think a lot of people try to have the career path and then work their way backwards into it, but you followed what you were interested in. So that's all, that's a, a bonus to your story as well. 
And why, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard of a head of inclusion and diversity. I mean, it's a fairly new term. I mean, obviously, I've heard of it now, but like when I was in college, definitely, or even in high school, like there were no career counselors saying, hey, do you want to be a head of diversity when you grow up, right? <laughs> I mean, even for you, and this was like what you were studying. So why is this role becoming more prevalent within companies? I, I mean, kind of the evolution of how this came to be not an HR function, but its own function. Yeah, I think that the reason why has actually evolved over time. So these roles have been around for a while. So they're not really brand new. Um, there are some people that have been in the role for a couple of decades. The emergence of the chief diversity officer, head of diversity, started in the 90s, mid-90s specifically. And it really started in the consumer goods sector as well as the accounting sector, which I know sounds incredibly specific. But we started seeing big four accounting firms like EY, as well as consumer companies like Coca-Cola begin to build out these roles. And sometimes the impetus was talent pool specifically. Big four companies were competing for women who made up about 60% of their entry-level hires. And so if you want to attract women, they, they knew that they needed to become really attractive organizations in terms of diversity. And yet at the partner levels, women were about one in five, maybe one in six really partners. And so that's really that was a really big part of the impetus in the, that industry. In some of the CPG companies, really what we started to see was honestly, the threat of lawsuits. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> that will definitely do it. And so it became, you know, financially, legally a risk to not pay attention to or to disenfranchise populations of your workforce. Right. So I would say now the tech industry is starting to see this, starting to see these titles really in tech started in kind of 2015. That's when we started to see the first couple of people appointed in these roles. And we've seen that grow over time. And I think it's it's been a combination of a uh, strong social and conscious awareness of a lack of diversity for women in tech and for other underrepresented groups in the tech industry. And again, a way to stay competitive. So in some ways, it's this combination of, of the two. And then, you know, one more thing I would just add to this is that companies are recognizing the values that these roles could bring, not only to their employees, but also to the culture of the company being very conscious and intentional about company culture, as well as to their products and their customers. Right. Customers are becoming much more conscious of the decisions companies are making around diversity, the types of ads and marketing that they're thinking about. Leaders in companies are becoming much more humanized by discussing inclusion and diversity. They have personas that are more visible through things like social media. And so their views are becoming more transparent. And then products, I mean, thinking about accessibility of technology products, at Pinterest, we've done a lot of work thinking about search quality and particularly underrepresented groups, different skin tones, et cetera, on our platform, which I'm happy to go more into, but just making sure that we provide a more fulfilling experience for all of our users. Right. We had a woman uh, on the podcast earlier who was talking about the importance of role models and th how big of a role it plays. So for example, when, you know, little girls only play with Barbies, it becomes the role model of like the importance of, you know, looking pretty. And you just mentioned like making sure you have, you know, diversity of skin colors in, you know, shown throughout Pinterest and whatnot. And like, it's so interesting to me because it seems so obvious yet we, but yet not, you know, and then, so the importance of that over time will be really interesting to see the effect of it. I'm sure you guys are already starting to see some positive effects of that. Absolutely. And 
you know, in terms of a search engine, Pinterest is very visually for focused, right? So right. how can we make sure that in some ways the experience of looking at a visual platform like Pinterest, let's say that, you know, we just profiled a user who's dyslexic and is very much using Pinterest as a way to do their search and discovery as opposed to other platforms. And so you start to realize, like, if we're intentional about that in the first place, we can really enhance everyone's experience. Exactly. And I want to talk to you about what is belonging uncertainty, because I heard you talk about it. Um, and I had never heard that term before. And I would imagine that this is actually going to become a term that's used more often. So why don't you let us all know so we can be ahead of the curve? What is belonging uncertainty and, and why does it occur in the first place? Sure. Yeah. First, I'll define belonging, which is this idea of feeling like you can bring your whole self to work, that you'll be accepted, that the people around you share the same values that you do. Belonging uncertainty is quite the opposite. It's this constant questioning of if you belong in your environment. And it actually has a psychological toll because you're constantly scanning around you for either affirmation that you do belong in a certain place or you're scanning for rejection that you don't actually belong there. And really when everyone starts a new job, we are, you know, we might not be consciously process processing this, but we're looking for clues about whether or not we belong. Right. You want signals like, am I in or am I out? <laughs> A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And some of the things that can threaten and increase the potential for heightened belonging uncertainty is simply underrepresentation. At tech companies, you know, if you're a woman in a software engineering role, for example, and you're on a team where you're the only woman on the team, um, which is unfortunately not uncommon for women who've been in the industry for, for a while, you might be more likely to question, you know, especially if you're not seeing role models, if you're not seeing leaders that look like you, which is really, really critical to belonging, then you're more susceptible to have this on your mind. Uh, and then certainly men, people with different styles of leadership from the predominant leadership within the company can experience greater belonging uncertainty. If you're from a different culture, you know, even if you are, if you have a different primary language and you're kind of code switching and you might be concerned about how you come across, all of those different things can contribute to a heightened sense of belonging uncertainty. But there are some things you can do to really mitigate that experience so that you can just focus on the work. And what are those things? So one thing to do is to acknowledge that everyone's experiencing it. So even the person that's kind of coming in the door, arm swinging, you know, full of hubris, they might not be talking about it, but, you know, anyone in their first few days is, uh, is really kind of questioning, you know, is this, did I make the right decision? Is this the right place for me? And so we actually partnered with Stanford at one point just to explore what some of those antidotes were. And one of the best interventions is just to literally name belonging uncertainty in the early onboarding process. So now when new employees come during their orientation, which is the first three days uh, at Pinterest, we actually discuss belonging uncertainty. And, you know, it's great to see, you know, the heads nodding because there's some solidarity there. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I'm not the only one feeling this way. And then a couple other ways that companies can stay on top of it are thinking about employee engagement surveys. Um, we have a, a survey that we put out and it's, it's short and sweet. It's only 10 questions. One of those questions is focused on belonging. One of those questions is focused on making sure that employees can voice ideas, even if they don't, even if those ideas are different from their manager's ideas. And we monitor all of our managers and, and their team members on those questions. And then 
ongoing. We let people know about opportunities to join groups or different communities that share their hobbies, culture, or interests. So one thing I'm really proud about at Pinterest is that over time, we went from one to seven employee communities or employee resource groups that have really grown in their focus on things like recruiting and retention and even inclusive search experiences in our product. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, for someone who's listening to this who maybe doesn't have any resource groups at their company and they're saying, oh, this is great. I want to take this idea to my manager and start a resource group. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows that diverse teams perform better, but there's still a lot of misinterpretations about why and what. So someone who's listening to this that maybe has a manager like that where they don't understand, like they think this is just like a moment in the news, like have diversity, but uh, they're not totally there. What would your advice be? Like, what could they say to convince this person, like, let me start this? Yeah. I mean, there are a couple things they need to do. So one is find somebody that does believe in what they're trying to do. Almost all employee resource groups or employee communities need to have a sponsor. So they're, they're almost always employee driven. Somebody has a passion. Somebody has an idea. A few people have an idea. They get together. You know, one great example is our our Filipinos at Pinterest group. One of our employees, Evelyn, she just really had a lot of passion. She got together with different employees as well as community organizations. And Pinterest, our San Francisco office happens to be based in um, a historic heritage district of Filipino culture. And so she was able to bring that group together and also find a sponsor that was able to support that petition. And that person can become someone who can speak with your manager, who can help your manager understand why this is important, but it's important to form those those coalitions. And then the other thing that is really critical is to make sure that the employee communities or groups become connected to the overall business strategy. So all of our groups are required to put together a charter that is connected to recruiting or connected to career development. Our, our women at Pinterest group has built our largest mentorship program open to both men and women as as mentors or mentees in the history of our company. So those are some ways to kind of get those things off the ground. And obviously we were talking about how diversity affects the bottom line, but diversity also affects the culture. People are more likely to stay at a company that feels inclusive, that feels like they belong. And I I definitely think community is a big piece of that. So those resource groups probably play a big role. Have you guys, like, have you actually had some research that shows once we started doing this, we not only had better product or better bottom line, but we also were retaining more people? Yeah, so I'll give you two examples of ways that we've looked at metrics and looked at what these communities have done for our company. One is that when we do that employee survey, which we do on a quarterly basis, we actually compare the results of employees that are part of the groups, part of the communities that participate, lead the groups, and we compare them to and actually do a match sample. So we get a really representative comparison. Uh, I was almost a stats minor, so you'll hear that. (laughs) You like this. (laughs) And so we find that they are much more positive on a number of things about their experience at Pinterest. One of the things that surprised us a little bit is that they are more positive on leadership's commitment to the culture and commitment to employees. And that is, again, because of those executive sponsors who are very visible with those employees. But they're also more positive about things like their career prospects over time which is one of the strongest indicators of retention we have. And the other example I want to give you is related to our product. So our employee communities have started finding ways to connect with our users. And so 
we actually have built something into our system around certain heritage months, starting with Pride actually last year, where if users search for a, a certain number of terms, then especially related to Pride, the word Pride would light up in a rainbow color and it would take the user to a curated page with uh, users that they should follow, boards that they should follow, Pinterest ideas. And we've since done this uh, again this year. We've done it with our our Black employee group, which is called Blackboard for Black History Month. We've done it with our Hispanic ERG, which is called Todos Incluidos. And so they now know that thousands of users are getting inspired, saving ideas, and following what they're pinning as a result of their participation in these groups. That's great. I uh, I use Pinterest like it's my Google search bar. So I appreciate that you guys are curating perfectly you know, uh, the content that is perfect for me and my lifestyle and like what I'm looking for and being a woman. And it was interesting. I actually was on Pinterest once and I was Googling like women power pose because I was trying to get ideas for like a photo shoot. And I'll have to suggest it to the the women group at Pinterest, but it was like, you know, it's every woman in a black suit with her arms, you know, uh, crossed over. And it's, you know, and I, and I think it's interesting, but it's like, I, I can also see like the huge responsibility that Pinterest has too like knowing like not just our employees but now we have our users who are who are being affected by this and stuff like that so I I think that's really great and I'm you know there are a lot of industries that are male dominated just to go off of your the the women's group at Pinterest there's a lot of industries that are male dominated and not very diverse I mean tech is certainly especially struggling with it right now and it's in the media and it's definitely interesting. I mean, obviously we're kind of at the other side of everything that's happening with Uber and now we're starting to see the ads like that Uber is putting out being like, you know, we're committed to you. And I think because so many people were feeling like, obviously, especially women, they were like, you are not on our side. Um, so I'm kind of curious. So they're struggling to create these diverse and inclusive workplaces. What types of questions can women and minorities be asking to managers during the interview process or even during like reviews or one-on-ones to make sure that they are creating cultures that are inclusive? Because I think that's, you know, what people want is they want to know, okay, before I jump to the next job, I want to make sure this company is a good fit, but what should I be asking and what's yeah. appropriate to ask? That's a great question. I get that question a lot and it's it's the right question. And so it's challenging. It's hard. You're in the, especially if you're in your recruiting process, process you're going to be told what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you have to ask questions and and actually really demand authentic answers for the things that interest you. So ask the questions early in the interview process to the recruiter about how the company thinks about inclusion. Is the recruiter able to answer that question? Do they you know, put you on hold? Do they, do they read a generic statement back to you? Do they have a point of view? Is there a head of diversity and inclusion or is there a diversity department? Is there a program manager even for smaller companies that don't yet have, have heads of? Those are really good questions to ask. And that can tell you quite a bit. Ask about the values of leadership and the CEO. And one of the things I tell people is one of the best things you can do is try to find something written by or quoted by or a video of the CEO talking about diversity and inclusion. Because I think that that's going to tell you Again, are they being authentic? Is this coming from from their point of view? Can you find an article? Does it read like a statement? Ask about what the company's employee representation is. Mm -hmm. uh, are there strong demographics? Do they know? Are they tracking the demographics even if they're in an industry 
with lower representation of certain groups. Ask about the company values. Is inclusion embedded in those values? Uh, at Pinterest, one of our values is is knit, which is specifically around working with people that have different points of view. So it's actually making an intentional decision to get perspective and have even a potentially a healthy tension of differences of opinion across different groups to get to the best possible outcome, right? So, you know, be direct with those questions. And then finally, think about what kinds of benefits or ask about what benefits are offered to different groups. So, parental leave. Do fathers get paternity leave? Is paternity leave the same length of time as maternity leave? Or is it something that's focused on? Are there policies to cover certain procedures? Can transgender employees find coverage that they need? Is surrogacy something that is funded? All of those types of indications tell you a lot about the type of company you're going to be joining. Mm -hmm. And you can always ask about their resource groups, of course, (laughs) as you mentioned. 100%. (laughs) Hey there, let's take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Have you ever felt like there is something interfering with your happiness or ability to move forward? What about feeling like there's a roadblock that's in your way, or worse, keeping you from achieving your goals? Meet BetterHelp, online counseling that's here for you. BetterHelp allows you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Get help on your own time and at your own pace with over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states to choose from who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, self-esteem, relationships, anger, trauma, and more. You can start communicating with a counselor in under 24 hours. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Anything you share is confidential, and you have four communication modes, text, chat, phone, and video available to you. You'll be able to schedule sessions as often as you want with just a few clicks. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. The females listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code FEMALS, F-E-M-A-I-L-S. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com females. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you love. That's betterhelp.com slash females. All right, now let's get back to the show. So something that happens often within company cultures, and I saw this too when I was a recruiter, is that the team start to either consciously or unconsciously, and I think to the benefit of most people, I think it is unconscious, they start to hire people that are like them. Um, And hiring for culture like this is not a great strategy for diversity, um, but it's also not great for the business. So how do we shift to hire for value fit versus culture fit? And I know there's something called the Rooney rule, um, which is probably a new term to a lot of people. So maybe you can tell us what that is too. Yeah, sure. First, I'll tackle the Rooney rule. The Rooney rule was a policy that was originally instituted in the NFL around head coach positions. And so they created a policy that they would include in the interview process black prospects or candidates to be part of the consideration for head coach roles. The idea was to increase that slate at the top of um, opening a new position. And a number of companies have since adapted a Rooney Rule type requirement, including Pinterest, 
which is that for every senior position we have open in our company, we want to interview at least one woman and at least one underrepresented candidate from an ethnic perspective to make sure that we are being competitive and that we are being rigorous. Now, the Rooney Rule can go wrong in a couple of ways. So at its best, the Rooney Rule makes you more thoughtful in finding the best person for the role because you widen the pool of qualified candidates. We use the Rooney Rule type requirement as a way of hiring for all of our leadership positions. And for example, our general counsel, who happens to be a woman, happens to be Latina, our chief operating officer, who happens to be a woman, it forces us to look harder. And therefore, you actually see more people. And so in many ways, the bar is raised. Right. (laughs) You've got more profiles, more competitive profiles to look at. A company has to make sure that they maintain the integrity of the Rooney Rule in a couple of ways. Always make sure that the candidates entering the funnel are are great, um, are competitive. It's never meant to be a token. It's not meant to be a check-the-box activity. Unfortunately, if companies aren't careful, it can become that. Also, companies sometimes skip the Rooney Rule, and that undermines the entire point of having it. <laughs> yeah. Then for some roles, it is a little harder to, to meet uh, those requirements in a certain frame of time. So there are certain exceptions that you have to think about or you know, how you're going to get around that or how you start to build the pipeline out earlier. But it's been phenomenal for us in increasing our executive leadership diversity. Mm-hmm. To your question, what I love that you asked was about values fit versus culture fit, because I think that is exactly what you're looking for. It's it's realistic at a company to think about the type of person that would thrive and do well at your company in terms of skills, learning styles, etc. But I'm all too commonly that gets conflated with is this person similar to me? And so first the company has to have a really strong sense of what their values are. I mean, at Pinterest, we are, we're growing exponentially. We move really quickly. And sometimes we have to be really scrappy. And so if someone comes from a, an organization where they prefer to work on a certain process or a project for two years before it's shippable, that could prove a challenge in such a fast moving industry, right? So that value, our value for go, which is one of our four values is pretty important. But that's very different from saying, hmm, is this the kind of person that I'd want to go have a beer with? Right. Which is that 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 old tried and true culture fit uh, type of mentality. And it's so dangerous because values fit is about what the person's going to be doing in their role and if they're able to effectively do it. Culture fit, quote unquote, is about hanging out with that person and likability which has nothing to do really with getting the job done. Obviously, if someone doesn't work well with others, that is around collaboration, et cetera, around our knitting value. That's a values piece. But chances are that being stuck at an airport for hours or having a beer are not part of the job description and therefore should not be (laughs) an unofficial part of the interview. Yeah, I feel like um, when I was a recruiter too, not only did we have to say to them, okay, you can't hire this person just because they remind you of you, right? So sometimes it would also be like the younger thing, like, oh, he reminds me of me when I first graduated. You're like, okay, that's wrong. But then also I think part of your role is that you have to help educate hiring managers who – you know, naturally that becomes part of their criteria is like, well, you know, I came from a consulting background and I've been really successful in this role. So look, let's look for someone else who has a consulting background. Not that that might not be aligned with the value, but sometimes the, the waters get murked up when you start to just say, this is my background. So let me look for that. And I think there are a lot of candidates out there who apply for jobs and 
this is really frustrating to them. You know, it's, it's like, I know I'd be great for the role, but I didn't go, you know, I'm not this background that is the typical background for this. Yeah. And some of the best ways to get around that because of, like you said, sometimes it's unintentional, the similar to me bias. It's very common in the interview confirmation bias of like, because this person did X, that means they're great at Y, even though those things aren't necessarily connected. Some antidotes to that are, of course, to make sure that all of your interview questions are consistent and that they're probing for what the actual job will be, but also that you have a sense of what a good answer and a poor answer look like, this rubric, because it really holds you super, super accountable for being consistent. Right. So, that, you know, once you learn that this person went to your high school or like grew up in the same hometown, um, that doesn't, that you can't look away from, but did they answer this question well, as I set out for in advance? And I, you know, I think one of the main benefits of diversity is really breaking up groupthink, which is groupthink is really treacherous yeah. and fortunately all too common, especially as we start to recruit from a certain amount of, you know, certain schools, certain handful of companies. The other thing that helps is finding some really great counterexamples and highlighting that. So we at Pinterest created an apprenticeship program and the program is focused on software engineers that didn't start out in software engineering and specifically do not have a computer science or related degree. We have people that have come into the program from a liberal arts background, from architecture, you know, from completely other dis different disciplines. They have successfully completed the apprenticeship program, which is one year working with our engineering team, doing the same types of jobs that an entry-level engineer who just came out of a four-year you know, computer science program does, they get a mentor that spends a lot of time with them. And over 90% of our apprentices have converted to full-time software engineers. Wow. That's, that's great. And I mean, I wish more companies would take that risk a little bit, even though I guess risk probably isn't the appropriate word, but just try something new, really shift, you know, shake it up with that because there are a lot of people that also want to transition careers too. And that is, I mean, we won't go into that because that's like a whole nother episode, but we get asked about that all the time. So let's move into rapid fire. Your morning routine always includes what? Definitely music. Uh, I do sing in the shower. <laughs> a female leader you admire is? Michelle Obama. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, favorite question to ask in an interview? I like to hear who inspires people. So I'd probably ask outside of your direct family, who was one of your earliest mentors? That's a great question. And how do you plan to disrupt your career in 2019? Okay. Well, that's a hard one because my, <laughs> my entire career is disruption. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're in a disruptive field 24 seven. Yeah. So I plan to, you know, just continue to actually expand the scope of what I'm doing. So I personally was part of the work that we did with our engineering and product teams to expand our inclusive search options. And I want to continue to expand into how we build a really diverse pipeline of businesses on the, on the Pinterest platform. Well, you're going to have a very busy 2019. Thank you, Candice, so much for joining us. It, this has been a wealth of knowledge and information. We'll have to create that glossary of terms. But thank you so much again. I, I've loved this conversation. I did too. Thank you so much, Lauren. That was Candice Morgan, head of inclusion and diversity at Pinterest and a woman disrupting diversity in company cultures. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Females and leave us a review. 
We're so grateful to hear from you, our listeners. And here's what Moni6886 on iTunes recently said. One of the first podcasts I started listening to and continues to be one of my favorites. It hits on all the important topics for a working woman. It's easy to listen to, even her voice is great, and I look forward to the next one. Wow, that's such a nice compliment. Thank you, Moni6886. And thank you so much to all of you who have been leaving reviews. We read every single one, and we would love to read yours here on the show. You can also DM us on Instagram. Any way you want to get your review to us, we will totally take it. Ready for more smart career advice? Sign up for our free 28-day career kickstart via the link in the show notes or head over to careercontessa.com. You'll get one email a week that includes everything you need to up-level your career. It's free and it can change your life. I'll be back next Tuesday with Georgina Gooley, CEO of Billy. But until then, you can follow us on at careercontessa on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. At launch, we actually launched the pink tax rebate where all you had to do was tell your friends about the pink tax and we would actually give you money back for all the years you've spent overpaying the pink razors. (laughs) And so, you know, we just wanted to, to make our brand a platform to allow this conversation to happen and to really encourage women to pay attention when they're picking products and try and buy from companies that are treating them fairly.